What's up, cigar friends? Prepare your ear holes. Your auditory receptors are about to be tickled by the wit, whimsy, and wandering mind of Room 101 brand founder, Matt Booth. Since 2009, Room 101 brand has been breaking the rules and creating an inclusive cigar experience for modern smokers. Room 101 frontman, Matt Boofy Booth, is equal parts showman and disciplined strategist. And today, we're talking with Boofy about brand building, the unobtainium factory that is Room 101 brands, and tobacco as a mechanism for time travel. Yep, time travel. Welcome to the Cigar Navore podcast. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Light one up with us and enjoy episode six, Matt Booth. So, uh, first off, Matt, thank you for joining us. Appreciate you coming to be a part of this on the Cigar Navore podcast. Of course, man, I'm honored. There are a myriad of things that, that I think we could get into today. Um, I think there's a huge volume that the cigar community and, and my particular brand of weirdos that listen to the podcast will appreciate and, and want to hear from you. Uh, yes. Well, I hope so. That would but be I think we've got to start with this little monstrosity that I'm holding right here in my hot little hand, the, the Death Bucket 2. Oh, my. You have decided to build this brand that layers pop culture and lighthearted fun. You know, how do you get from I'm building cigars to I'm going to name a cigar the death bucket. I'm going to put a, a nod to the, the KFC bucket of chicken on there and I'm putting my head in it. Like, how do we get there? <laughs> Original oh, death bucket. Uh, the artwork was... Uh, more true to the original inspiration with the white and red formatting of the bucket. Yep. And, um, and it was just filled with human remains. Right. And, and then of course the beautiful and luscious uh, chicken drumsticks um, blanket, the band, you know, area, the shank of the band. And um, really the original, I mean, I had been wanting to do, for some reason, I had been wanting to do a couple of these ideas that have now come to life. You know, I've been wanting to execute these things for years. You know, they've just been in my mind. And for one reason or another, I was unable to, to execute, you know. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that it would be fair to say that um, I think one of the things that you, at least from what I can tell and what I know of you, my dear friend Carl, is that one of the things that you appreciate and something that resonates uh, with you uh, specifically is I think authenticity is a tremendous currency for you. And I think that you in my product see um, authentic design direction, authentic brand messaging, and therefore I think you enjoy them more. Um, now, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like uh, if I was going to take what little I, I know about my new friend and mix it up in a pot of, or a cauldron rather, mix it a cauldron. So it's a larger, you know, I went from whisking to a full to body like stir. The, like the, uh, look, I'm <laughs> rowing, uh, you know, uh, I'm on a rowing team now with the, you know, the spread of my arm movement. So um, if I was going to mix that up into a cauldron of elements and, and spat out a product, I think that that's a chief ingredient that resonates with you, as it does with many people in our community. You know, um, 
uh, honestly, I have a lot of ideas that keep me up at night, some of which in terms of design direction are a bit more formal and grown, but yet still progressive, you know, uh, a la the way we dress farce. You know, this is meant to be what Room 101 is in 2020 and beyond. You know, this is a more adult uh, baseline for core, uh, signature trade dress. Um, and not that it was meant to be easily uh, modified, but it just so turns out that with changing color palette, that kind of becomes a signature um not only look but format to our trade dress very quickly right sure um, i mean you've, you've built a great design system there around, around the farce and, and it gives you a lot of flexibility and, and we've been seeing that in branding happening for a couple of decades now but i mean relatively speaking early in in your time in the cigar business that was still a brand new idea very very few mm -hmm. companies had done it well and, and i think that like the iconic first stroke at it on a national scale was was the the ipod marketing where apple mm -hmm. had you know the, the super simple graphics and these massive bright color billboards and, and stuff mm -hmm. all over the place and, and they built a consistent story with very very minimal uh change in what they were delivering mm -hmm. And absolutely I see that in, in what you're doing with farce at a, at a different in a different format but i, I see that oh yeah the way that they sculpt their messaging is so powerful and so potent yet so there's such a a power and and potency found in their minimalism you know and um you know you can go into gas station c store department store and you see apple's design genetic being uh, a bit uh, we'll use the word plagiarized a bit or borrowed <laughs> oh for sure we'll say, bar we'll for say sure. borrowed for everything from you know vape pens to i mean you name it i've seen i'm like oh apple you know so they created a design direction and a trade dress that in some strange way starts to take on a life larger than themselves and it becomes an industry standard you know, and, and we found ourselves in that position too, in many ways, you know, over the years in, in tobacco specifically, you know. Well, um, and so mm -hmm. I think that's part of where, you know, I, I'm curious to hear some of this story arc because how do you wake up one morning, veteran, business owner, jeweler, mm -hmm. and say, cigars, that's next. How, how do you get there? <laughs> well, you know, I would say veteran, business owner, brand builder, jeweler. Now, jewelry was always uh, an initial passion for me and design specifically. Um, and that's really three-dimensional design work, you know. Um, but the goal was always to build the modern-day version of Alfred Dunhill, you know. Little West Coast, little Far East, little grime, little Los Angeles, and uh, a sensational amount of elegance woven into the genetic fabric of this of what was to be this brand. And and tobacco, uh, just as it would have been in 1950, was a critical component. Not only, well, and and look, let's be fair. Room 101 is a collection of shit I like personally that I love. Right? Fair, but. But a lot of it makes sense um, 
you know, from a branding scale, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd say on, on a global scale, on a branding scale, on a global scale, you know, you have Alfred Dunhill, you know, uh, the Davidoff of 1950 was no different. Of course, the spine or nucleus of both of those collections was premium tobacco. Mm -hmm. And then all the other merchandise was ancillary. You know, in our collection, you have three main categories that we're executing on simultaneously that are all spine-like. We're literally a three-spine dragon at this point, right? And, and then there are additional categories that I'm enthusiastic about that, uh, you know, uh, like, for example, our, our, our high-end bags. I love them. They're, They're amazing. Gorgeous. They're, They're made... One of, the first, hmm? one of the first products of yours that I saw that really like, blew my mind was this uh, purple ostrich leather duffel that you did. And I yeah, was man. like, what in the shit is that? Um, now, now dissect that piece, right? That purple's not just purple. It's a pearlescent purple where there's one tannery, okay, in the world, which is not in the United States, that you can get that specific color tone from. You try to pick up purple ostrich and you're going to get something that looks like Laker or Barney purple. Yeah. Like there's only one tannery that provides that treatment and that color. One. Two... Even the, even the closures, the zippers we use are, are re-re-zippers, you know, uh, whereas you could go to any Joanne fabric and pick up like a, you know, a YKK or whatever. I mean, just those zippers have to be custom ordered and built for that exact length That's of the bag, that specific pole style, the dual open. I mean, it's like there, there is no granular detail that is left unsifted in terms of the, the build on one of those bags. And that is why they're insanely gorgeous and can be appreciated by someone with your calibration of taste, right? Thank you for and that. And they're completely uh, unsaleable. Actually, yeah. I'm not going to say unsaleable no. because we've sold several of them. But, you know, how many Caterpillar bracelets have we sold? How many cigars have we sold over the years? How many cases of gin have we sold in the last three to four years? I mean, there's no, there's no comparison. You know? Well, I mean, so in, in one of our other episodes, one of the things that one of my, our guests said that I appreciate is cigars are a luxury anybody can afford. In this country, yeah. You know? I mean, for the most part, yes, in this country. Well said. Yeah. For the most part, you may not be, you know, buying a Davidoff Royal release, Mm -hmm. But most people can once in a while afford 10 to 12 bucks. Yeah. And 100%. And that's what I love about it. It's an affordable luxury and it's for all. And, and then you've got the other end of the spectrum in mm -hmm. your bags that are, I mean, you know, you're, you're getting into bespoke menswear kind of, uh, mm -hmm. kind of price ranges there. Mm -hmm. And that is, a bit of a rarefied customer. Uh, yep. Um, and so I, I hear you on the, it's unsaleable, but at the same time, you know, I mean, we were just talking about the weirdness of being, you know, children with adult budgets and, and art collections yeah. and skateboards and, and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I will I, mention I, that we did sell one of those out of the window on 53rd in Madison when we had a shop and shop in the uh -huh. Davidoff flagship there. A gentleman came in and bought uh, a black ostrich bag out of the window. Now, 
it's a badge of honor for our brand that someone would invest into our brand, right? Versus, you know, Louis Vuitton or, or whoever is, is, you know, um, someone walks down the street with our ostrich bag. It's unknown as to who has made it for the majority of people. It's for those that know. And for someone that could recognize that level of quality, obviously that's going to be a conversation piece. You know, it's like the no Sheikh question. of Bahrain's gym bag, mm -hmm. you know, which and I like. There's, there's that difference between trend and taste. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that you make is a little wild, but tasteful. Thank you. You're welcome. Prior to this call, you mentioned to me that for you, cigars are a mechanism for time travel. Absolutely. And that that was a big part of what made you kind of get so crazy passionate about this industry. And mm -hmm. I've been a nerd my whole life. Uh, I feel like time travel is the ultimate topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm curious to hear you unpack that because I think that there's, I agree. I think there's something interesting there, but I, I want to hear you put some more skin on that. Well, yeah, man. I mean, I, uh, as I mentioned, I said, I believe time travel is real. I believe it's very real. And one of the first moments that I realized that there was that type of connection or connectivity in the spiritual side of cigar making, I was in a factory, Donley, Honduras the original Camacho factory in the center of town. Um, and we were up in the small rolling bodega where we would work when we went there. And uh, I leaned over a bin of one of the uh, potential material selections for one of the cigars we were working on. And I leaned into this bin and I inhaled very deeply and had my eyes closed. And in a nanosecond, I was ported into a small horse stable uh, feeding my mother's horse, which, as I mentioned to you, was the one luxury that she afforded herself throughout her life uh, while she was able. And I was immediately, you know, a 10-year-old boy feeding that horse. And I, I immediately championed for the use of that tobacco long before I had any inkling of what, you know, the process was to put a good cigar together. I mean, I'm getting the hang of it, but then I was, you know, trying to achieve, uh, you know, the ability to stand upright on sea legs in the factory, right? And so, um, but I let him know. I said, immediately, we have to use this tobacco. And it worked. And by, by the way, uh, something so cosmic, at least for me, um, whenever I have come across that sensation, I always use the tobacco. And it has never gone sideways. In 12 years at the factory. Never. That's impressive. I mean, it's, it's whatever it is, it's cosmic, man. And, and there's 100% a spiritual element to not only the act of cigar smoking, but the act of cigar making. And, uh, you know, maybe that in some way is how I connected to that. I don't know. And I definitely think that there's a, a spiritual and there's a, a larger energetic reality in both the, the making and, and, and in cigar smoking. Mm -hmm. um, where's the inspiration come from? How does the, how, how do you as, you know, how do you as you uh, go from 
again, the, the ideation to the output. And you're talking about as it applies to cigar making specifically? Uh, all of the above. I mean, a lot of my core ideas, um, especially for design direction, come to me um, not in my sleep, but as I'm drifting off to sleep. I think that when I begin to kind of take the take my hand off the steering wheel of consciousness, like I start to I start to slide out of consciousness. But before I am asleep, this is when um, either that's been going on behind the scenes all day. And now it's just quiet enough to for that to take center stage, right? Or if that's actually when that component or compartment of my mind wakes up a little more. I don't know. But it's always been that way from jewelry design to series design. Not necessarily so much blending. Blending, uh, as it applies specifically to our cigars and our gin, um, I pursue in a more freestyle manner with my blending partner or partner in distillation so it's in the moment it's freestyle songwriting is really what it is you know now we could start with a general sentiment that we're going to try to chase down one specific uh type of trait or characteristic create a cigar with a specific personality you know or have it be very forward in certain elements of its personality and profile, or it could be just to experiment and create from the foundation of experimentation. It could also be to modify from a chassis of an existing product, you know, because you start to get the hang of, Hey, I think that this product, like I have an idea of how I want to modify the blend you have in your hand, nothing crazy, but both for, uh, function and performance. I think that I think that with a few modifications to that guy, I think he could be a real um, long-term player in our uh, in our collection, uh, possibly even an evergreen item, and not be um, in some way plagiarizing a pre-existing blend at the same time. Be oh. different enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it is different. And had enough. I not even said that. Nobody would even know the difference because it would be so different. You wouldn't be able to chase it backwards, you know. You know, and that's an interesting thing. You, you, you and I were talking about this before. And one of the other cigars I considered for this, for this call that I will definitely post in, in the, the show notes uh, is your, should we say, secret edition Eastern Standard from, from our friends at Caldwell. Ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you I tell, tell the people, story because that's tell funny. The one, yeah, I always tell people the one with my face on it tastes better. <laughs> Which is true if you there let it, it be. Right. You understand what I'm saying? If you allow that truth to be your truth, then it will be true for you too. One, two, buckle my shoe. Now, <laughs> the reality is, but the reality is, is I've been asked that many times. Is there something different about these cigars? And I said, yeah, they taste better. So is a, a mindfuck yes. because are they different? Are they not? doesn't matter. I mean, why don't you just enjoy it? Stop asking all these weird questions. Does it taste better? Yeah. You know what it does? Well, there you go. <laughs> Isn't that delightful? 
Well, and so that's interesting, right? Because I think that you've, you hit on this thing and, and it's, it's touched on in the cigar industry. It happens a ton in the watch industry. It happens a ton in the car industry where I think of modern cigar makers, you do a phenomenal job of managing the unobtainium and, mm. and of, of playing with the value of scarcity, but not so much that it's, again, our, our friends at Davidoff, it's not Royal Release Unobtainium where it's, this is unachievable and it costs a ridiculous amount of money because mm-hmm. it is. You, mm-hmm. It's just, these are rare, good luck. You know, I feel like you're yeah. kind of the Topps baseball cards model of, uh, of, of the, the rare items. Look, there's a very delicate balance in managing that. And, you know, I don't have any issue talking about it because I know that even uh, when people try, you know, it's, it's unobtainium to the people that wish to consume it, but to many people that would attempt it, it's the uh, unachievable. So I have no problem talking about uh, some of the theories surrounding our, uh, our unobtainium program, if you want to be so formal about it. Uh, but it's really just affording people the opportunity to continue to be excited about what what it is that you're doing, right? With this fanciful dancing dance scene, this Bollywood end scene, which by the way, have you ever really given any thought to the fact that 80s movies were very Bollywood inspired? There's always like this come together moment at the end, break in, break into all these movies. There's like this final scene where it's just happy, and everybody's like dancing or singing. And it took me so long to realize, like, I'm like, they totally ripped off Bollywood. Like, because that's what it is. It's what it is. I didn't put it together. But I was unaware of Bollywood for some uh, long period of my life. So the world becomes smaller every time you travel, right? And it's the little things that sometimes are the most powerful. So unobtainium gives people an opportunity to continuously be excited about what it is that we're doing, this fanciful Bollywood-esque type play and product that is dancing atop a proper foundation of core products, you know? And it is a very delicate balance. And a lot of it, you know, has been an exercise in theory, like practical application of theory, seeing what works, continuing to plow forward in that direction. Some of it has been learning by experimentation. You know, we have a a formula that I think is very unique and gratefully very uh, followed and chased after. But I I would highly caution anyone trying to dabble in that type of space because it's so delicate. It's, I mean, imagine, you know, imagine you're boiling a pot of water, right? And imagine that pot of water boils over for three seconds. Well, you fucked up. Your unobtainium's fucked. You just overboiled it. And you're done. You're played. You played yourself. Stops boiling at a certain degree. It's no longer percolating enough. It's no longer zesty enough. So you have to play it super, super tight to the line in order to continue to maximize um, your equity in that space without playing yourself out. I see people doing it all the time. I see product. I see people posting pictures of product. I'm like, that's so whack. And so weak and so try hard, you know, and whatever people will buy it. 
they'll buy it, man. But sooner or later, um, th those manufacturers have played themselves. And the problem is, is sometimes they dilute what other operators are doing in the space because then it's harder for the untrained eye to determine, you know, what's live and what's Memorex. Like which one is the, the real deal? Because it all looks now to the untrained eye, it all looks the same. And you now have to be nerd level consumer and, and devout follower of certain products to discern. And, I mean, that's, and that's where saturation occurs. In the cigar industry, I feel like, I feel like that's been true for a while. Yeah, man. A long while. Oh, yeah. You make yourself a part of this brand in such a way. You have connected in a way that's super intentional. And yes. I'm, I'm yep. curious to hear, you know, how do you manage balancing that? and still being like a whole person and not just the Matt Booth show, right? Like how, how does that work for you in the, the non-cigar hours of your day or the non-room one-on-one hours of your day, if there are any? Well, I mean, there are, uh, you know, uh, fewer all the time, of course. Um, but that's been the case for years, you know. Um, one of the things I think, and, and we know each other, uh, and I think one of the, when you came over to the Cribbo, you said, I wanted to see if there are two Matt Booths. And there are and there are not, because whatever I'm delivering is authentically myself. And I am authentically and personally vested in the creation, curation, uh, distribution, the messaging surrounding our products. They reek and stank of authenticity at every twist and turn in their path to final you know to the to the mouth hole in in the cigar world to the mouth pipe of the final end user consumer or the wrist or the finger or whatever the case may be right um and what people see from me it, it is truly what you get you know um it might be the volume knob is turned up a little bit more you know um you know before uh you know before we hopped on this call i was updating this ginormous spreadsheet uh, of item information for our company, you know, and writing some creative copy for it. And I was very quiet at that moment, you know, um, don't get me excited. Spreadsheets and creative copy are like my, my, my past life, man. That's, uh, that's the stuff that makes me, makes me super happy. Well, look, man, I wouldn't have anyone else write it either because it wouldn't be real. And then and you get, I mean, I, huh? Somehow, you managed to balance that with three separate product lines in yes. three drastically different industries. Yes. I do, I do believe that you have customer overlap. Uh, I do. That is confirmed. Those spaces. Um, but how do you, as, as one human, with these three massively disparate brand executions right how do you balance that and and keep the plates spinning uh, you know what's what what drives that for you because there's there are very few humans that i've met that can think in those kinds of massively separate tracks well in each category i have a go-to 
partner in that side of our business. And when I say partner, I do not mean partner in ownership. I mean partner in distribution and support. So um, if I dream it and think it, and I am not the one that is appropriate to personally execute, you know, the um, tasks are, you know, the to-do list, the punch list of any given day is triaged and distributed to who is best suited to take care of specific tasks related to each component of our business and our branded business as dissected in three. Because outwardly represented as Room 101 brand or Room 101 brands, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, although sometimes it may not go without saying it's they are separated on the back end as separate companies due to, I mean, very simply, there are regulations that apply to one category that do not to the other and so on and so forth. And tragically, tragically, uh, you know, the ever swelling anti-tobacco sentiment and the community of who I would refer to as tobacco abolitionists globally, um, or I mean, it's actually, you know, what's funny is cancel culture was a thing before it was a thing. And cancel culture first, not first, but one of the earlier in our own lifespan, right? Let's just, let's yep. just personalize this. The truth campaign, cancel culture first was cigarette smoking, anti-cigarette smokers, right? And I mean, because I was thinking about this the other day. I went to get my son his happy meal, right? And as I was pulling out of the drive-thru, I peered to my, you know, look both ways, be safe, don't drive angry. I look to the left and I see one of the employees from McDonald's out on the patio of McDonald's having her smoke break, smoking a ciggy. And I thought, man, it's such a rarity these days to see someone smoking a cigarette in contrast to how often I would have seen that act taking place as a child. Oh man, as, as a kid, I bought my mom cigarettes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Just... So, I mean, smoking was just what happened, mm -hmm. right? Now, my parents didn't smoke. They didn't smoke cigarettes. My uncle smoked cigars. My grandfather smoked a pipe. No one smoked cigarettes, right? <laughs> uh, but they were the minority at that time. Big time. Smoking was like wearing jeans. You know, you just did it. You wore it went jeans. together. Yeah, jeans and ciggies. So my point is I think I'm rambling on and getting off actually what the fuck my point was. But my point, I think, oh, dear God. What were we talking? Remind me. Get me back on track, man. Reboot me. We were talking about the, the partnerships and, and the different folks on oh, the brand. Yeah. And then you were talking about some of the, some of the regulation and, and the tobacco abolitionists that are out there. Oh, my God. That's how I got on that. For the love of God, man. Okay. We're having a very good conversation. <laughs> Obviously. So, no. So I have a partner uh, in uh, a brother, sister in arms in each component of our business, in each facet of our branded business. And on a daily, they are my go-to, you know? So, and I think that's super important for people in their pursuit of whatever it is that they're doing, cigar related, creative uh, endeavors, what have you. You partner incredibly well. I mean, just well, on the list let's, of let's not get carried away, but yeah, I, I'd like to say decent. Well, okay. On the list of partnerships <laughs> that I'm aware of in your history, right? Like, <laughs> just the gin's good. 
Thanks. The distribution is legit and, and you're in some great places that most startup uh, spirits brands struggle for a long time to, to get that to is the kinds of placements that you've had. So that is a statement, true statement. That one is a sign of, of good partnerships. Your tobacco history, you had this amazing uh, relationship early with mm-hmm. one of the biggest players in the game. True. I uh, two of the biggest players in the game. Mm-hmm. When almost no one was coming into the cigar world really as a brand builder and a creative director. And True. somehow you managed to convince these, you know, monsters of of old industry to let in this wild man and kind of give him the keys to the, to the Porsche for the weekend and see what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and about, who would have ever known that we were going to do what we did in that? Space. No one, no, no wild one. Man. It is. Wild. And so talk to me about like, how does that happen? How, how, what are the things that Matt Booth does to build, develop, nurture, recruit the kinds of partnerships that drive that special thing because I, I think more people need to understand that if i didn't listen to my belly radar and the readings that come from it i would have been out of business a long long time ago and if i had followed every piece of advice that was received externally i would have also been out of business via the act of chasing my tail years ago um, there are certain things that even I don't exactly know how to explain properly. The one thing I will tell you, especially as it comes to, uh, the selection of partnership, whether it's for the shorter term or for the longer term or the any term, um, I have a, I'd say on the same, how should I say? I'd say the same level or same degree that I have a knack for um, being able to build uh, branding and brand messaging that lives in the back of your mind rent free, which is the ultimate goal, right? And I have a natural knack for that. I try to say that with as much humility as possible because I don't actually even like, you know, uh, I feel like I'm, you know, stomping my feet on the floor, right? talking about that but at the same time it is it is true but it's true um i also have a knack for selection of people i can very quickly come to understand um what someone would be best suited for within our organization or not what they would have a knack for and certain needs arise later you know uh, we've had we've had you know members of our brand family for years that I get to know and know enough about them that when a specific need arises, the light bulb goes off and I say, you know who'd be perfect for this task that was unforeseen until today is so and so. Let's put him in there, you know, knock him dead, Tiger. And that's how it goes, man. And so, did you experience the reverse side of that? 
earlier in your career, earlier in your your journey before you were in, you know, the, the driver's seat of your own brand? Or was that one of those kind of, it just magically happened and you figured it out as you were going? I mean, it was, I mean, most everything about our brand's story and brand's life, uh, you know, initially was birthed from necessity, right? Same if I way. don't survive, this does not continue. So, mm -hmm. you know, guys, you know, I, I don't forget, I self-funded this entire endeavor out of a small apartment off of Melrose. You know, I took the, for our first item photos on my coffee table in my apartment, you know, so, you know, um, there was never any, I learned, I learned from people that were around me in my environment. I learned what real, uh, opportunity looked like almost if not definitely more importantly, I learned how to identify false opportunity. Ooh, and there is a, about that. well, there is a bevy of that awaiting anyone in, uh, in the belly of the beast there in Hollywood and Los Angeles, you know, for every one enthusiastic kid that gets off a bus there with a guitar strapped to their back or a dream in their little satchel, you know, there's 10 of them getting on that bus leaving, leaving. Yeah. Right. But you can feel the vibes and the magic of that city pulsating as you drive in every, still to this day, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. A, a native driving up the 101 freeway. I see a Hollywood sign. I get excited still, you know, and you know, um, but for every one creator, for every one doer, there is an army that is ever mounting that all make their living off of praying off of that one individual. Oh, you want to have a brand? We have these phenomenal celebrity gifting suites that you can, you know, pay us to then give away more of your money to people that don't give a fuck about what it is that you're doing. Uh, because we've convinced you that the celebrity culture is what ultimately drives brands, which it does in a certain way. But I mean, you know, my brand included and many others are proof positive that that's not the chief currency. It's a currency and forever will be, but not no longer the chief currency by a long shot, man. No. So my point is there, my point is, is that there's an entire community and industries built around preying on the doers, the creators, the, the actual, um, uh, whatever it is, musician, producer, et cetera, et cetera. You can go down the line. Yeah, well, I mean, forever there's the reality that makers, and, and I'll include all artists, musicians, performers mm -hmm. in that space, you know, they there's, there's value being created. Mm -hmm. And as... In, in my past life, you know, I, I would say all the time, I'm a great marketer. The problem is I got nothing to talk about. So I started a marketing agency ah. and talked about other people's shit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> because I know that when it comes to the work, like I've met people that are the real deal. I got a buddy who's a portrait sculptor who's mind-blowing, who mm -hmm. this dude for a concrete bas relief project he was doing for a, a, a church he tested 218 quarter or silver dollar sized concrete samples in different stains and then mm. left them in the elements for a week to get a determination yeah. of which stain format he wanted like none of that has to do with 
making a pretty sculpture, but that's the work. Correct. Yeah, correct. You know, and the, yeah. I'm not that dude. I know that. That's the, I, I don't want to do that work. And mm-hmm. and unlike what I think a lot of people hear with folks who say, well, you know, some of it's the work and you just have to do it and you get through it. Like I've met people who nerd out on doing that work. They're always going to oh, do a better sure. job at it. Oh, dude. And they're the guy, I mean, myopically. I mean, their focus is so, so granular. And, and every single element of that process is just, they have this maddening level of focus that we couldn't even imagine. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. And their, their willingness to you know, jump into the, the time wormhole and realize that mm-hmm. they've emerged on the other side a week later and mm-hmm. is, it's, it's uncanny. Like I'm, I'm rarely seen it but i've seen it on a few great instances it's admirable it is it truly is uh, from a brand and build this business building perspective most of those people suck at it <laughs> well that's why they do what they do you know right and that's why many times you see these partnerships of the the artisan and the business guy you mm-hmm. know because most people don't have they're not the dual threat they're not the right and left lobe functioning cohesively at the same time. I have a, I have a very dear friend uh, named Franco Vescovi. Franco Vescovi is a, a brilliant artist that is talented beyond a single lifetime. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, painter, uh, illustrator, a very well-known tattoo artist. That is how we know each other. And, uh, but he also founded a company called Bishop Rotary. Bishop Rotary um, is a, uh, I want to say they're pneumatic. They're pneumatic. See, I'm, I'm not up on all the, the sh- I don't make that. I receive them. I don't make them. But what I'll tell you as an outsider or someone that's a la carte to that world in a, in a myriad of ways, Bishop Rotary changed the entire industry. Bishop Rotary machines became that industry's standard tool. And a branded tool that artists are proud to say that they use. It's made by one of their own. It's, it, I mean, it's brilliant. What he's done is completely brilliant. But you got to understand, he's, he would be my first example of right and left lobe dual threat. Businessmen and creative, brilliant and brilliantly capable at the same time. By the way, did you see the news about Herklotz? No. So it was not publicly known until today ca wrote about it but her and the former cfo of nat sherman acquired all of the nat sherman sub-brand trademarks from altria so he's going to do his own personal spin they purchased those marks from them and uh so they're launching their own branded effort dude that's awesome so so the uh the timeless and the metropolitan and and some of that stuff will, will live on yeah and in so many ways, that brand was him anyways. Oh, absolutely it was. You, you know what I mean? It was him for them. And now it's just going to be him for himself. That's even better. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, look, man, if anybody could do it, man, he is beloved in our business. And uh, he is uh, uh, a vet. And I mean, he'll have, everyone will give him a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, the era of disenchantment will begin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sorry. 
Sorry, we're just being honest, man. No, I, I love I love him. He's actually he was actually one of the very first people to ever be welcoming to me in the industry. Say more. So I was at my first industry trade show, 2009, okay, launching Room 101 Cigars. And this was before I had made friends in the business with a lot of guys that are now my peers. Uh, and I still say that uh, with a, a, a tingling of, of, you know, nerdy nerves in my stomach, the same way that I still feel excited to see the Hollywood sign on the freeway. You know, because I, I am somehow included in this cast of characters of guys that I'm uh, a tremendous fan of, right? But now mm -hmm. somehow they're also my friends, you know? Um, and I'm very grateful for that dynamic, of course. Uh, but this was before that had occurred. And, you know, as a member of our community and our industry now, I understand very well an outsider coming in with little to no explanation of themselves. Um, would stand uh, a bit of a vetting process, right? Yeah. And once people got to know me, it was fine, you know? But upon entry, it was, an, it was like the door was being kicked in. You know, there was no soft blow here. You know, our dear friend Michael Herklotz has had a 20-plus year soft entry into the brand space, right? He announced amazingly today, which I'm a huge champion for his new endeavor, um, but he announced today that on the coattails of an already 20 plus year career in our business, that now he was going to, uh, pilot a brand effort as his own, not on behalf of someone else. Right. So he's not going to have the same reception that I did by a long shot, you know, no. because it's very simple. Who the fuck is this guy? What does he know? Why should he have a brand? You know, you you could go down the list of questions, which I happily and continuously have been answering for the last 12 years and will continue to answer into perpetuity by my actions. But uh, Herklotz approached me. We had met and he approached me as I was leaving the trade show floor for the day. And I mentioned to him that a, an industry magazine that's owned by a dear friend of mine was holding a, an industry after party. And it was kind of a boutique-y cool kids after party. And the, the owner of the magazine had actually mentioned to me sidebar that he said, Hey, you know, some of these guys have a little bit of a thing with you and you know, I don't want it to be a thing. He didn't really ask me not to go, but he kind of asked me not to attend. You know what I mean? And I wanted to, <laughs> and, and I wanted to honor that. I got, I get it, man. It was, it wasn't personal. And I understand, you know, what he was trying to achieve with the party and, you know, didn't want there to be some, you know, weird dissonance going on at his event. And, and you know, I mentioned that to, to Herklotz and I told him, you know, I'm probably going to sit that one out and, you know, I'll go to the next one. He's like, absolutely not. He said, you're going to go to that party tonight. He said, you're going to go to that party and you're going to walk up to every one of those motherfuckers and you're going to introduce yourself and you're going to let them get to know you the way I have gotten to know you in a very short period of time. And then things are going to unfold from there. He said, but you will go and you will make friends. And I did. And I never looked back, right? But, wow. uh, uh, but he was a champion uh, and a friend uh, long before many were. So um, I could do nothing except return the solid at any given moment. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, and I'm excited to see what he gets to do, you know, without the corporate overlord. Uh, I think that there's, there's a lot of creativity and a lot of potential output wrapped up in, in that dude's pinky. <laughs> oh yeah. Look, man, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, the machine uh, has an abundance of fuel, of monetary fuel, right? Yeah. But also has a lot of governors uh, on the engine that are placed there by corporate politicking. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, at any given moment, you're playing glass half full, glass half empty. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I just know that he has a lot of support and love throughout our industry globally. And so I think if anyone could launch a successful effort at this time, I mean, it, he would be at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect so. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to product. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to come down to, as you pointed out, that ability to select partners and, and to select people. Uh, I think that who he winds up with, uh, that he works with for production is going to be clutch. Uh, and I also think that he, if anybody's going to get a good shot at it and going to get open arms, he's probably him. Uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm very curious to see where it goes and, and hopefully looking forward to some new amazing smokes to, to add to the repertoire. Yeah, man. And Likewise. speaking of which, we're we're running on time, and I want to be courteous of your time because I know you got a lot to do, and and you have plenty on the plate. So one of the other things I like to cover for for all of our listeners when we get to mm-hmm. speak to folks of of your status, which cigars are the ones that made you say, "I got to do this." When White you think owl. back. <laughs> No, man, for real, White Owl. White Owl because this was my uncle's cigar of choice. And this was the first cigar I smoked with him. And it had nothing to do with the cigar and it had everything to do with the opportunity to engage with my uncle on a level that no one else in the family was. And I became very immediately acquainted with so many of the elements that are swirling around the cigar smoking experience that have less to do with the actual cigar and more to do with the act of smoking in good company, uh, the spiritual or communal aspects to smoking, if you want to label them that. Um, and, you know, later in life, of course, having no concept whatsoever that I would be owning slash piloting a brand and that it would include a premium tobacco component, you know, as my mind started to, you know, put together this, this dream list, right? Uh, this dream picture of how I would construct this brand, what its genetic would be, what its genetics would be. Um, and that uh, a premium cigar would be a component of that in a dream state, having no idea at the time how I would achieve that. I mean, ultimately, the initial inspiration was smoking with my uncle and therefore, the initial cigar to inspire that was the white owl. So take that cigar nerds. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Cause inspiration lurks around every corner under any nook and cranny. You know, you don't have to, you didn't have to have a Padron, the greatest cigar of all time, Padron 64 anniversary print space size, natural wrapper. You didn't have to have that put in your mouth to become inspired or to fall desperately in love with cigar smoking. I mean, if one was going to dissect and become critical of my 
you know, cigar inspiration selection, which I'm sure that some people might knowing, knowing the isms of our community. Right. Um, oh yeah. You know, uh, you can't look, man, whether it was the Padron or the white owl or anything in between, you can't argue the facts and the facts are that there are a tremendous amount of these beautiful little, um, nuances and elements to our culture that lie within each person's individual experience and the way that they personally connect, right? If there's true personal connection, if, you know, 10 year buddies smoke cigars and you're like, fuck it, I'm gonna hang out with the guys and smoke a cigar. That's a different thing. Yep. You know, now that person that might become their indoctrination, right? That might be their white owl with their uncle Lee, right? That might be that moment for them. You don't know that. Right. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, they might have something more majestic than a white owl, but as a first time cigar smoker, they aren't going to know much different anyways. No. So the experience is far more going to be what's around them, what that moment is like. I think. I, I, I fully agree. I think, I mean, uh, you know, I early in my cigar smoking career, um, you know, I, I shamefully, uh, you know, yeah. I used to love Swisher Cherries. Yeah, man. You couldn't that red. pay me to smoke one of those anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at 18 years old, when I didn't know any better, and mm -hmm. I was developing my palate, uh, I was like, these are good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, man. And that led you down a path you know, where now you and I are sitting on this call, right? And yeah. you are uh, long since, uh, you know, uh, a cigar enthusiast. And, uh, you know, and we owe that all. We owe our friendship to Swisher Red. We do. And, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's a long path from, it's, it's a long path from grape Kool-Aid to, you know, a, a good cab or, or a, uh, or a meritage or, or something along those lines, but we get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> we get there eventually. Or you don't, so, and that's okay too. Yeah. No judgment here. So when you're not smoking, you already put one out there and, and I'm going to post it. That's your grill cigar. You already said it. So too bad. It's going out there Absolutely. into the world. But when you're not smoking your product, what are your go-tos? What's the other stuff out there that you love? So I will say this, man, as a cigar brand owner, if you're doing right by your brand, fewer and further between you smoke outside of your products existing or products potential, because you're constantly monitoring um, the, for quality and consistency, right? And performance. Sure. Now, uh, but what I will say is one of the things that I genuinely love uh, is to smoke solely for enjoyment. Not for the dissection, not for, uh, you know, my, I, I love to, I love to smoke for enjoyment and I do love to smoke stuff that other people make because it's their rendition of this thing that we all love, right? It's mm -hmm. their offering. It's their tribute. It's their twist on tradition. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of my friends are younger guys in the game, younger in comparison to, you know, uh, you know, families and, and, and people that are, you know, three, four, you know, they're generationally vested in, in the craft, yeah. right? Yeah. And so therefore, my product and some of these guys' product tastes 
drastically different than someone with that lineage would, would offer, right? Because mm -hmm. it's their twist. So, I mean, I really like uh, the Fausto, uh, Pete's Fausto. And by the way, there's also an emotional attachment because I was at their factory and he handed me that cigar and said, I'm going to release this this year. This is a different style of blend for me. And I tried it and I loved it. Now it's ballsy, man. And that's what I like about it. it if is. I want Pete Johnson all up in my mouth, I go for <laughs> Fausto. Ooh, you know what I mean. Now, I, do. Uh, I also uh, really, really am enamored with uh, Nick Malillo's Wise Man Maduro. That thing's a monster. I, God, you know, I hear cigar. people celebrate a lot of the other stuff in his collection, and it's all very respectable, better than respectable, and I think amazing. But mm -hmm. the one that gets me romantically twisted up is Wise Man Maduro. You know, uh, I, I very much enjoy that cigar. Um, I always enjoyed um, the Eastern Standard by Caldwell. I thought it was sultry and sexual and very Euro fancy, and I very liked mm -hmm. that like that also i appreciate that about that cigar that's why we put my face on it may it taste a little better it's like putting icing on a cake you know matt this has been awesome i, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us today and uh, making some time to join us here on the podcast the last thing i would ask is is there anything that you think the people need to know as uh, as this thing goes out into the world, where can they follow and uh, subscribe and enjoy all of the goodness from Room 101 brand? Well, Carl, first of all, I appreciate you having me. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure, as always, my dear friend. And for people to find us, we're easily accessible through all of the, all of the different channels on Al Gore's beautiful internet. On Instagram, first and foremost, you can find us at Room 101 brand. Room 101 Cigars, Room 101 Gin, and if you want to be a soldier and enlist, Room 101 Shadow Army. Uh, you can find me on Clubhouse, on Facebook, on all of these apps. I'm, I'm as accessible as humanly possible, of course, when I'm not buried with work. And uh, I'll see you guys out there. Thank you so much, Matt, and thank you for listening. Since this recording, the Death Bucket 2 has launched and sold out everywhere. The Big Payback Maduro has launched, as well as the Room 101 Cigars 11th Anniversary Maduro. I particularly like that one. Don't forget to check out www.cigarnivorepodcast.com, where you'll find show notes for this and every episode, including links and descriptions for all of the cigars discussed. Thanks again for listening, and stay ashy, my friends.